It's June 2013, and President Obama is about to nominate a new director of the FBI, James Comey. Most pundits praise the choice. Comey is widely respected as a dedicated and principled lawman who, as Deputy Attorney General, famously stood up to President George W. Bush to block the renewal of a warrantless wiretapping program that Justice Department lawyers had concluded was illegal. It seemed exactly the kind of fiercely independent judgment, impervious to political pressure, that you want from somebody running the country's premier law enforcement agency. But there was also an undercurrent of dissent, questions about Comey from some of his former colleagues. In a prescient article in the Daily Beast, a veteran journalist spoke to some of Comey's detractors, all of them on background, and reported some of their concerns. In their view, the journalist wrote, Comey was, quote, a gunslinging prosecutor who is cocksure and possesses an overweening sense of his own righteousness. They contend further that Comey took a narrow legal dispute and imbued it with high drama and grave portent in an effort to burnish his reputation. These critics say his actions reflect an unyielding black and white approach to morality, dangerous qualities in someone who could soon possess the police powers of the FBI, period, end quote. This week, the debate about Comey is about to dominate Washington as the former FBI director who was fired last year by President Trump in a peak about the Russia investigation, is about to release his book, A Higher Loyalty, and go on a media blitz that kicks off Sunday with a primetime interview conducted by ABC anchor George Stephanopoulos. We'll talk about what we should expect from Comey, about what he's likely to say about President Trump, and what tough questions he'll have to address about his own conduct with a former Justice Department official who has become one of his leading on-the-record critics, and with the surprising author of that 2013 Daily Beast article. All that and much more, including the FBI raid on President Trump's personal lawyer, and new threats against a potentially important witness in the Mueller probe on today's episode of Skullduggery. There is absolutely no collusion. I didn't make a phone call to Russia. I have nothing to do with Russia. Everybody knows it. Because people have got to know whether or not their presidents are crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true. But the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. The British government has learned that Saddam Hussein recently sought significant quantities of uranium from Africa. How many times do I have to answer this question? Can you just say Russia yes no is a it? ruse. I'm Michael Isakoff, chief investigative correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydeman, editor-in-chief of Yahoo News. Well, Dan, that was quite a Daily Beast article written in 2013, and um, I've been trying to track down the author. You know, um, it's amazing reporting, uh, prescient as you put it, but also, you know, the the silky smoothness of the prose. Um, God, yeah. I don't know who could have written that. Yeah, all right, all right. Uh, it was Clydeman. Um, <laughs> and it is a reminder that actually uh, in the days before he became a uh, apparatchik at Yahoo, he good, actually – Good, good word, apparatchik, given yeah. all the, the Russia, uh, you know, focus, yeah. Exactly. But look, um, it's on point. And what's uh, was really surprising to me is like you nailed it. Those were the issues uh, around Comey from the get go uh, that are now likely to be relitigated uh, when that uh, uh, media blitz begins. Uh, yeah, Sunday. yeah, they, they are. But look, I mean, uh, David Leonhard, a columnist in The New York Times, um, uh, picked up on some of those themes in an op ed piece he wrote. Um, but he made, you know, the good point that, you know, Comey's got these strengths. I mean, he actually is uh, uh, a very decent guy uh, in a lot of ways who who has had courage and shown that courage by standing up to, you know, some of the, the illegal programs uh, during the Bush administration, warrantless wiretapping, torture. Um, but, you know, it's a kind of a double-edged sword. And what Leonard uh, pointed out was sometimes your strengths are also your weaknesses. And you go back to the Greeks, as he put it, and, you know, people who... Uh, you know, may act, have all those great qualities, but one quality they often have is is hubris, um, and that is again going with the the Greek theme. Um, in some ways, Comey's Achilles heels, uh, Achilles heel, uh, and I, I I suspect we're going to hear a lot of that 
um, when the book comes out from Trump and his supporters. Right. And there was a, a great quote in your piece. Uh, it was a background quote, but I, I, uh, um, it really does seem on point. Um, uh, for, this is from a former Bush White House official who knows Comey well. Quote, Jim has a flair for the dramatic and a desire to be the moral savior of mankind. You have to worry about putting that much power in the hands of someone inclined to cast himself as the hero and others as the villains. Exactly. One one point on this just very quickly, which is there is some backstory here on why the, the uh, some of these Bush administration officials uh, had so much animosity toward him. Um, yeah, and it goes back to another scandal, which well, is they were defending the wiretapping program. Well, but right? it's it goes beyond that. It was also Scooter Libby uh, and the Valerie Plame leak, um, and uh, it was Comey um, as uh, Deputy Attorney General who appointed his old friend, the very hard charging uh, prosecutor, U.S. Attorney from Chicago, Patrick Fitzgerald, to be the special counsel in that case. And one of the sources I talked to said that was a missile directed. Uh, aimed directly at the Bush White House, um, and uh, they did not forgive him for that. By the way, um, uh, I always love this, that Bush used to call um, uh, Comey Cuomo in a, in a reference to uh, Mario Cuomo. That was one of his put-down insults. Right. And by the way, one thing that this is a little wrinkle that most people uh, forget at this point, but when uh, uh, Comey named Fitzgerald, his good buddy, as the uh, special counsel. Um, he also gave Fitzgerald full authority as though he were the attorney general to make all decisions relating to that um, investigation. In other words, Comey had, um, I'm sorry, Fitzgerald, under Comey's authority, had complete total unfettered authority to do whatever he wanted to do, which goes beyond the arrangement now that Rod Rosenstein has given to Mueller. Mueller has to go back to Rosenstein if he wants to uh, review, uh, if he wants to expand his mandate or broaden his probe, as he apparently did in the uh, uh, um, making the decision to refer the um, evidence about Michael Cohen. We'll get to that in a moment. But um, uh, uh, what what Comey did with Fitzgerald was the ultimate in complete independence to a special counsel. Absolutely, um, and uh, you know this is uh, this is an issue that has gone you know back and forth for a long time, um, uh, and you know a lot of people for good reasons are, are concerned about uh, independent counsels or special prosecutors having that kind of unfettered uh, uh, power because you, you just don't know. Um, you know where they're going to end up and how long they'll they'll go for. Well, uh, and uh, and talk about where it's going to end up. Uh, look at the the uh, raid on uh, Michael Cohen's office, which really does seem to be a uh, alarming escalation. If not in the Mueller investigation, in the uh, league broader legal inquiries into uh, President Trump's conduct and that of his associates. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it, I think it is a very significant. Uh, event because as a lot of people have said, um, you don't uh, raid the president. I don't. I think it's unprecedented raiding the president, president's lawyer's office. Um, uh, you know, as part of an investigation, normally, um, pro, you know, uh, uh, it, it would be a grand jury subpoena, and presumably the lawyer would be someone who, you know, they would expect to cooperate. Um, or yeah, and and in this case, uh, they were treating him like he was a drug lord or a mafia don. Uh, lawyer and uh, and and just you know raiding his office like a no no knock um, uh, search. Um, what? And well, so one final point on this though is I gotta say uh, two weeks ago we had Ken Starr on Skullduggery and he kind of predicted this. He said that um, the uh, the the payments to Stormy Daniels uh, because in the closing days of the. Of, uh, it took place in the closing days of the 2016 election, would have to be reviewed by the Justice Department to determine if it was an illegal campaign contribution and that this probably wouldn't stay within Mueller's mandate because it was too far afield. 
from uh, the Russia investigation per se, but that it would end up on the desk of Rod Rosenstein. That's exactly where it seems to have gone. And Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general, uh, approved this search uh, of Michael Cohen's office, uh, no doubt um, um, infuriating uh, the uh, president of the United States and um, making him that much more, him being Rosenstein, that much more vulnerable to being fired. Well, we know he was infuriated because we've seen what he said and what he's tweeted. Exactly. But uh, we'll get into all of that uh, with uh, with Matt Miller, uh, former uh, high-ranking Justice Department official uh, during the Obama administration. Uh, but, hey, Mike, before we get to Matt, we'll bring him in in a second, yeah. we've got a quick announcement to make, very exciting. We are heading down to Washington, D.C. for our special live videotaping of Skullduggery on April 27th at the Museum, um, which will be uh, the day before the White House Correspondence Center. Uh, we're going to have a focus on the media and the Russia scandal um, and it starts at 9 a.m., and um, you can catch it on yahoo.com. So we're psyched about uh, our first live uh, Skullduggery performance. Are you sure it starts at 9 a.m.? I don't know. That's what our <laughs> that's what the producer wrote down. Okay. I've, been, I've been telling people it starts at 11. So okay, all right, great, great. Right, right. Uh, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go with Kelly Hill over you on like the timing of, our, of the event. Sorry, but I, right. I think Kelly's probably got it right. That's 9 a.m. Let's bring in Miller. <laughs> hey, guys. Hey, Matt. All right. So um, what should we expect uh, from uh, James from the James Comey book and media blitz beginning this Sunday? Uh, I think he will present himself as the hero he believes he is. Um, and, you know, the contradiction of, of, of Jim Comey, and you guys were getting into this a little bit in the intro, is that in a lot of ways, he is a hero. I mean, I think the, the way he behaved with respect to President Trump is exactly what you'd expect from an FBI director, but especially from him. He's not the kind of guy that's going to be pushed around uh, by someone uh, asking him to do the wrong thing. Um, but at the same time, the other side of that personality is that he has a, a, a bit of self-regard that, that crosses into self-righteousness uh, that can be his biggest downfall. And I think, I, I think you will, you know, it, it may not come off that way to everyone, but I think you will see hints of that self-righteousness uh, in, in his Stephanopoulos interview and then his, uh, his other appearances as well. Now, we already have a little glimpse of what he's going to say because we have the questions from George Stephanopoulos uh, that have been made public by ABC News. And the first one is uh, uh, a reference to Comey referring to Donald Trump as a mob boss. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, that, that, look at how the president behaved in those conversations with him you can almost see you know tony soprano um talking with you know one of uh one of the the say a police chief in newark that he owned or a, a police lieutenant in newark that he owned and saying yeah can't you just look the other way on this which is basically what the president said to do uh with mike flynn i mean that that that, that we're going to get to relive probably in more detail than we did in that congressional hearing uh, where comey testified before the senate intelligence committee um we're going to get to re relive those interactions between between Comey and the president, and uh, I imagine we'll get to, to hear more about them uh, in, in much greater detail, as probably as in, in other detail about what Comey did, who else he went and talked to with the FBI, um, kind of uh, steps that they took to try to, to deal with what the president said. Um, I, I can't imagine it's going to be a flattering portrait for the president, especially because Comey really appears to be what, you know, what lawyers will call a motivated witness. You know, Matt, I, I'm going to be really interested in seeing um, Trump's reaction to this. Um, there is this phrase uh, that uh, pro investigators, uh, FBI agents and prosecutors use, which I love, which is uh, tickling the wire, uh, which mm -hmm. is which is uh, when you've got someone on a wire, you're trying to find a way to provoke the target of your investigation into either saying you know, saying something um, that's not in their legal interest or acting impulsively in a way that uh, is not going to help help them. And, I, you know, I think this is in some ways the equivalent of, of tickling the wire. I'm sure the Mueller uh, team are going to be watching the president's reactions uh, very, very closely. Yeah, one of the, the weird things about Trump, I mean, the, the you know, good advice when you're in, under investigation and, and when you're involved in politics is that saying never let them see you sweat. I mean, he constantly shows you what's on his mind and shows you what he's worried about. And he has a way of blurting out at key moments um, exactly why he did things that are central to the heart of the investigation. Um, 
he did it this morning when he t- you know tweeted this you know had this bizarre tweet about you know there's no collusion or obstruction of justice oh except when I have to push back which is a pretty key piece of evidence that you know maybe sometimes he does obstruct justice he did it with the Lester Holt interview um, uh, when he said you know why he fired Comey uh, after all this yeah and Russia I- investigation so he gets angry and has a way of just blurting out what's really on his mind whether it's helpful to his legal interests or not. I, yeah. In fact, I also wondered if, you know, not not that they were would have been entirely motivated uh, by this, uh, but but the, you know, raiding his personal lawyer's office uh, and home or I guess his hotel room since he wasn't living in his home. Uh, I mean, that cuts so close. Um, and, and, you know, m- maybe it has some of the same effect. I mean, we've seen the way he reacted to that, um, talking about the FBI breaking into his office and uh, and, and, you know, going on that rant about uh, about how biased they all are um, and that, you know, uh, Mueller has not uh, has been has been willing, you know, it looks like from the outside anyway, uh, to play some mind games um, with the people he, that he's uh, he's, uh, you know, uh, investigating. And I wonder if there's an element of that here as well. Uh, I think so. I mean, look, we know that um, Mueller already collected evidence about a previous incident when the president uh, contemplated firing him. And back, back last summer, uh, that Mueller looked at that as you know one of the potential uh, pieces of evidence of obstruction of justice. And I think every time this comes up, and the Times reported last night, or Times reported on on uh, Tuesday night that uh, he you know again contemplated firing Mueller in December. I mean, those are all. It's like he's you know writing uh, additional counts for the eventual articles of impeachment, where you know, um, well, I got mad and I threatened to fire him then, and I threatened to do him then, I threatened to do him then, and each time you're going to have Trump going around. Kind of talking to people and presumably saying a bunch of incriminating things like, you know, if he doesn't back off my, you know, my attorney, Michael Cohen, I'm going to fire him. Or uh, if he doesn't, you know, if he doesn't, if he subpoenas my business records, I'm going to fire him, all of which go to showing corrupt intent, which is ultimately key to the case. Right. But but isn't the, you know, at the end of the day, to make the obstruction case, uh, it can't be about what Trump contemplated at various times. It's got to be specific actions that have consequences. And, uh, you know, it seems to me that's still a gap here based on the known evidence, because even the firing of Comey did not make the Russia investigation go away. Um, And so therefore, you know, was there might have been an intent to obstruct, but was there actual obstruction? Did anything that the Justice Department prosecutors and FBI agents wanted to do in this case, were they thwarted at any point from doing it? It, it, it doesn't really matter whether you were successful in obstructing justice or not. It, 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 all you have to do is try to do it. I mean, that usually when uh, the FBI pro- or the, the Justice Department prosecutes someone for obstruction of justice, they didn't actually get away with it. The, the case was allowed to go, for, you know, they were able to go forward some, some other way. Um, all that matters is that the president was trying to, to end the investigation. Uh, was he trying to stop their investigation when he asked Comey to back off of Mike Flynn? Well, certainly seems that way. At least was trying to, to obstruct that part of the investigation. Was he trying to obstruct it when he fired right. Comey? Uh, was he trying to obstruct it when he took these other actions? You don't actually have to be successful under the but law. But you do have to sure. prove intent, corrupt intent, and yes, that whole that's like, right. mens rea, to use the legal term, like what's in your mind when you do it. And that seems uh, to be uh, uh, where where the bigger gap is uh, continues to be, and and even as he you know as he said to Lester Holt in that NBC interview, I fired him because of Russia. Uh, I don't know that that proves that he had corrupt intent. Um, I, yeah, mean, I mean, what what it may so, what it may show. Well, let me just finish, Mike. What it may show is yeah. that you know he wanted to uh, uh, shut down the Russia probe because. You know, it was a huge distraction to his ability to do his job as president and serve the American people. At least that would be the legal argument. A, a careful president who knew what he was doing and wanted to find a way to get rid of Comey would do, would have done exactly that, Dan. He would have said, you know, I need to conduct foreign policy and this guy is inhibiting my ability to conduct foreign policy and constructed a legal argument to do it. That's not who Trump is. <laughs> I, right. You're assuming that he hasn't gone around and told a bunch of his people who are close to him, his friends, his staff, you know, if he doesn't stop investigating my friends and my allies, I'm going to fire him. Right. Um, I wouldn't make that assumption. Uh, in fact, I would, I would bet 
there's a, a good amount of money that he's probably and actually if i can break in yeah. here um it seems to me the defense is that it was uh the the trump defense would be is it was a half-hearted attempt to obstruct because the fact is he fires comey he could have then gone the whole way fired rosenstein and made sure there was no special counsel investigating him but he didn't do that um, um, he didn't take the steps that would have made the initial firing of Comey that, that would have completed the loop and actually been real obstruction. Well, or he uh, has, he has it yet. Well, yeah, true, you, you don't, true, you don't, but, you don't get a lot of, you don't, you don't get a lot of, uh, and also, I think for only half an interference. Yeah. And also to, right. To, to, to Matt's point, you know, if you're a defendant in a, in a, you know, a, a drug homicide or something and, and, you know, you get, you, you know, you go and you intimidate, you know, one or two out of like eight witnesses in the case, you know, that's, you're going to get charged with obstruction. I, 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 I only broke their legs. I didn't kill them. Yeah. Or right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, um, but we should talk. We should talk about the the uh, the raid on Cohen's office because there are. Um, well, before we get yeah. there, can can I just just completing the loop on Comey because I want to get Matt's uh, take on this. It seems to me Comey has lucked out enormously because um, when this book was originally scheduled to come out, it looked like the uh, Inspector General report on his handling of the Clinton email investigation was going to be out about the same time. And that if that was the case, the widespread expectation is he's going to get reamed in that IG report, both for his uh, press statement on July 5th, in which he opined on Hillary Clinton's conduct when he was simultaneously recommending that she not be uh, criminally prosecuted. And then, of course, for his uh, late in the campaign intervention with that letter saying he was uh, suggesting he was reopening the investigation. But it looks like Michael Horowitz, the IG, has is taking more time as re-interviewed witnesses, and Comey's going to have a clean shot to promote his book, give his take on um, uh, on the events of 2016 without having to face the really tough questions of what Michael Horowitz is going to report in that um, in that uh, IG report. Yeah, I think it's part luck, it's part deliberate intent on Comey's part. His book was originally scheduled to come out two or three weeks after the, the time it's now coming out. And they moved the publication date up, and and I think I suspect, and a lot of people suspect, he was moving it up to try to get ahead of the IG report. So the, the confluence of him moving up and the IG taking longer, I think he is going to get this free shot. Um, uh, and, and, you know, it's pretty smart because he's got a number of excuses for why he did what he did and, and why, you know, especially why he gave that press conference. Um, and you've heard you've seen those excuses kind of uh, leak out, especially the New York times did a big story last year. And there were some of Comey's colleagues at the FBI, some who talked on the record, some on background. And I, I suspect those excuses are not going to hold up under the IG scrutiny, especially what, when the IG is going to be able to look at the emails. What, um, were, what, were, and, the, what were those uh, just, what were those excuses just to remind Well, people, so the, the biggest excuse is he had to give that press conference because Loretta Lynch, uh, after her, you know, sort of ill-advised meeting on the plane uh, or meeting on the, you know, the, the, the tarmac with Bill Clinton, um, no one would trust her opinion anymore. And so Comey had to be the one, he's the only virtuous one that the American people would trust. And he had to stand up and give this press conference. Well, we know from emails and the, the, we see some of these emails have come out in, in FOIAs and some, uh, the IG presumably will have more, that he and his staff started writing that statement a month, six weeks before Loretta Lynch ever sat on that plane with Bill Clinton. So it, it, it kind of blows a hole in that excuse. The other excuse is there was this uh, odd email, which they didn't know if it was real or not, where you know, somebody claimed that Loretta Lynch had assured uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz that she would make the investigation go away. The entire thing was a fraud. It appears to be a fraud planted by Russian intelligence. Uh, it is Comey's contention that you know, they kind of had to keep, they, they, they had to think about if, if Loretta Lynch is the face of this and this email comes out, even if it's fake, um, just the, the, uh, she because will be questioned. Of the, I, just I because know, of the optics of it, yeah. The perception. Yeah. I, I know from talking to people at the department at the time that that excuse is complete baloney. Mm -hmm. And I suspect the IG will, will find that, that it was complete baloney. And they knew all the, along that, that that email was a fraud and they used it as an excuse for Comey to do what he wanted to do. I did think it was interesting that Loretta Lynch gave an interview uh, this week to uh, Lester Holt of NBC. She didn't say very much, but she <laughs> didn't seem to be. <laughs> she never yeah. said very much. 
Do you think that was a pre- yeah. preemptive but, that I was mean, to get ahead of, yeah, uh, of Comey? I, I, I see the strategy. I mean, Loretta, was a, Loretta, Loretta Lynch is a fantastic prosecutor. Um, one of her weaknesses as AG was being able to kind of deliver a compelling public message. And I, I think the strategy here was, you know, Comey's going to throw a lot of the blame at her feet. And so she wanted to, to preempt him with an interview. And she just kind of didn't hit her marks and just wound, wound up saying nothing. It is true, though, that uh, at every stage of the game, Loretta Lynch, her staff, and Sally Yates, the deputy attorney general, could have reined Comey in. They could have ordered him not to do that press conference, the press statement, and they could have ordered him. They knew he was going to send the letter, and they could have ordered him not to send the letter. But they were too worried about how they would look if they intervened to block the FBI director from saying something about the Hillary Clinton investigation, correct? Yeah, that, that is correct. I, I, I blame uh, Sally quite a bit less because, you know, look, if, if Loretta had been fully recused, then yes, Sally can make those decisions. But as long as Loretta is the AG and is, uh, is in charge, it's hard for Sally to make a decision, even though, even though the, the FBI director technically reports to the deputy, when the AG is involved, it's the AG that's calling the shots. So I, I agree. Look, if, if, if Eric, so if this had happened when my former boss Eric Holder was AG, if we found out that Jim Comey was having a press conference at eleven o'clock and he wasn't going to tell us uh, what he was going to say, Eric would have picked up the phone and called him and said, "To hell, you, the hell you are! Cancel your press conference. I want you in my office right now." And he'd come over and he'd said, "You know, you're not holding a press conference. I'm going to decide how we do this. I'm the Attorney General. You report to me, um, and, and we will make this announcement together, or I will decide who else makes it." And it was, I think, a real failure of leadership uh, by Loretta to do that, as well as to not order him not to send that letter uh, in, right. in October. Right, and and but just sort of playing this out, you know, uh, and I'm sure this will get played out endlessly over the next week or so. Um, if they had done, if Comey had not done what he did, if he didn't do the press statement uh, and just let the Department of Justice announce uh, with no explanation that Hillary Clinton would not be prosecuted in the email investigation, and if he had not uh, written the letter disclosing that there was new that there were new emails that potentially uh, related to the email matter. Um, how would that have gone down, both in Congress and with the public in the closing days of the election? Uh, I mean, you know, it seems to me that the Justice Department, there would have been an enormous uproar, uh, it, certainly among Republicans in the Congress, that the political appoint, the Democratic political appointees of the Justice had shut down an investigation uh, involving the Democratic presidential candidate for political reasons. Well, let me start by saying you shouldn't make investigative decisions uh, or, pro- you know, or decisions how you're going to handle uh, investigations based on how partisans in Congress are going to react. You should never do that. And you especially shouldn't bend the rules as he did because you're worried about how partisans are, are, are going to react. You follow the rules. And if you can find a way to manage them within the rules, the, the partisans, you, you find a way to manage them. Yeah, that but, said, let me... Yeah. Let me Go ahead. Go ahead. I, let me let me start with with the the press conference because I think without the press conference you don't eventually get the letter. Uh, if he was really concerned that people wouldn't trust Loretta Lynch because she was a, a, a you know a, an Obama appointee and because of the plane incident, although as I said he made the decision to do this well before the plane incident, I could see him holding that press conference and saying, um, "Look, I'm the independent FBI director. Everyone knows I'm a Republican. Uh, uh, I have reviewed this case. You know, career FBI agents have worked on it." We've interviewed this number of witnesses. We've looked at this number of of documents. It is our unanimous recommendation to the the attorney general that this case not be pursued. That would have been unusual, but I think you could find a way to justify it. The problem was he went beyond that, and he characterized Clinton's conduct in a way that is outside the bounds of what investigators and prosecutors are supposed to do when they're not bringing charges. He called her careless. He He characterized the evidence. He talked about state problems at the State Department. All of that was so beyond the bounds of acceptable behavior for a department of official. I think that's where he really crossed the line. And it's, it, I've yet to hear anyone that's on his team that's been able to give a defense of why he had to characterize Clinton's conduct in the way he did. Also, you know, just, just to uh, respond to uh, the point that Mike was making before, I mean, if, if, Comey, if Comey had just, you know, if he had done that or if he had just given his recommendation to Loretta, Loretta Lynch and Loretta Lynch had announced it, even if Comey objected to the fact that Loretta Lynch was announcing it. At the end of the day, you know, she would be announcing 
Comey and the FBI's conclusions. She's not shutting down an investigation. She's not, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, messing with it. She's just she's just announcing his his findings. So I don't see why that would have been such a controversy. And then beyond that, what what would the implications of all of that been? Well, we might still have a podcast called Skullduggery, but it would be more likely about Hillary Clinton than it would be about Donald <laughs> right, right, <laughs> Donald Trump because, right. you know, there's a reasonable chance that if that had not gone down the way it did, Donald Trump never would have been elected. Right. But, but the reality <laughs> is that it would that would not have been the end of it. I mean, the, 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 the day they made the announcement, the next day the subpoenas would have been flying to the, uh, to the Justice Department and the FBI to explain why not? Why did you why are you not pursuing this case? And it's hard to imagine, especially in the you know, politicized environment in the closing weeks of the election, that the Justice Department would not have been called upon to provide an explanation, um, you know, very similar to the one that Comey ultimately gave. Mike, it's not it's it's not hard to imagine at all. The, the department does all the time when they don't pursue charges. When they, I mean, it happens all the time where the department, yeah. like the, the one of the best examples are, are, you know, police brutality cases where the community you know, communities think that a policeman is going to go to jail and the department doesn't prosecute. They have a very hard time explaining to the public why, but it's in high, it's in high profile controversial cases, especially the, a great example is financial institutions. You know how much pressure we were under by, by members of Congress to indict uh, financial institutions. We conducted all these investigations. We closed all of them without indictments because we, we couldn't have evidence. We couldn't stand, you know, we got, the Holder got badgered at hearings endlessly about why he didn't bring those cases. He didn't say, well, you know, we think the banks acted carelessly and we have this and this and this evidence against them, but it doesn't meet the standards. You don't do that because it's not appropriate because they don't have a, a fair chance to respond. No, but you, but you know, I, I mean, I, I, I do think that there was something very different about the Hillary Clinton investigation that you know made it far more consequential and and high profile than any of the ones you mentioned. But that said, you know what would have happened. There would have been articles in the New York Times and the Washington Post uh, quoting anonymously uh, FBI and other uh, officials familiar with the evidence saying exactly what Comey ended up saying. Um, and uh, many of those same comments that Comey said publicly on the record would have been said on background by informed federal and, law enforcement officials, and, correct? And in, it, is, it is so different when you have a, a background official and you'll have one background official taking one side and one background official having the other. It is an entirely different thing than when you have the director of the FBI standing up offering the official conclusions of a law enforcement agency. Um, that, it, that is why, you know, honestly, that, that it's the same problem with the letter at the end. You know, they were worried about leaks. I know why, they, why he sent that letter, because he was worried that Devlin Barrett from the, from the journal was working on this story about uh, the Clinton Foundation and uh, disputes in the FBI about whether to investigate it. He was worried that because Devlin was, was digging around in that, he was going to find that um, uh, they now had obtained Anthony Weiner's laptop and had looked at it. And if he didn't tell Congress, he was going to get blamed for it. And so he sent this letter. Uh, first of all, your job is to control leaks. I, I know you can't, but you don't, you don't do things outside the normal course of business because you're worried about leaks. What you do is you manage them. And so, yes, people, you know, if it would have leaked, people would have, wow, why aren't you, you know, why, why aren't you doing this? And you say on background to reporters, we've obtained new evidence. We don't have any sense that it's anything new. They could be duplicate emails. We're going to do our due diligence and look through them. It's entirely different than a, a, a letter from uh, the FBI director that is by its nature inflammatory, partly because it's so unusual and unprecedented. I mean, it's the very actions themselves that made it such big news and made it so damaging to her. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you about one other matter that's undoubtedly going to be coming up in all the Comey interviews, and that was the decision um, uh, on January uh, in early January when the intelligence community briefs um, the president elect at Trump Tower on the findings of the um, uh, uh, the, the DNI on on Russia's intervention in the election and the multifaceted campaign, and then they all leave. Comey stays back with Trump and hands him the two page uh, synopsis of the uh, Christopher Steele dossier containing the uh, salacious allegation about prostitutes in uh, a, a hotel room 
in um, uh, in Moscow. As we uh, write in uh, Russian roulette, um, still number one on the New York Times bestseller list. This <laughs> I told you, Mike, you should let me say that. You should let me say that. It's better no, for no. your image if I say I, it as opposed to I you have, saying it. I have no confidence you would uh, you would say it. So, uh, um, but anyway, uh, but the Trump views this as a shakedown. He thinks Comey's trying to blackmail him uh, by showing him what he's got, what the FBI has over him, and in a way that um, colored the entire relationship and may have uh, sowed the seeds for uh, Trump's ultimate decision to fire him. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it 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 shows Trump's inex- obviously inexperience in government and doesn't know anything about a defensive briefing where you brief an official about information that's out there just so they know, even if you don't believe that information is true. And also Trump's kind of nature where he thinks, you know, someone's uh, coming at him. The the but it goes to the, this weird thing about the relationship between Jim Comey and uh, uh, Donald Trump, where the first meeting they have when Trump becomes president after the transition after this. Um, P-tape meeting, you sort of skipped over what the salacious allegation was, um, where um, uh, you know, the president asked Jim Comey for a loyalty pledge, when in reality, it should have been the other way around. That After, after Jim Comey deliver, basically delivered the election for the president, he should have been giving Comey a loyalty pledge. Um, it's just this weird way that, that, that Trump thinks, where he sees everything through this, this lens of what does it mean for me without any other you know, idea of how the government works or how policy ought to work. But do you or, think, or do you think, Matt, that, out of function. do you think that Comey uh, really needed to brief him uh, on that uh, dossier or, or is that, um, you know, going to uh, what my source said in the piece I did about Comey, was that again him, you know, the sort of flair for the dramatic and imbuing the moment with, with, uh, with high drama um, and, you know, because, I mean, he could have also, um, you know, he could have also done it through the White House. Well, I guess it wasn't a White House counsel yet because it was during the transition, right? But uh, I just wonder um, whether that was something that he needed to do. Well, it could be both, right? It could be, it could be something that, that uh, he concluded he needed to do, but he chose to do it in this dramatic way. I thought it was very interesting that Comey accepted the assignment to do it alone. I mean, it sounds like it was a hot potato and um, uh, Brendan and Clapper <laughs> all kind of decided, ah, we don't want to do, yeah. <laughs> do this, yeah. but here, Jim, you do it. And, yeah. and whereas most people would say, oh, I don't want to brief the president on that, Comey probably stepped up the task because he likes being the, the center of attention. Right, right. Well, he certainly uh, was, and he certainly will be this week. Um, Matt Miller, I'm, I would like you, um, I'm going to nominate you before uh, we get off to be one of the questioners uh, for Jim Comey on his book tour. I want to set up a, uh, a Comey versus <laughs> Miller uh, face-off. Uh, that would be uh, be outstanding. If you have any ideas on how to make it happen, um, let me know. But he hears I'm at an event asking questions. He might pull out. <laughs> All I know is I read somewhere that for one of his you know, performances, they were selling tickets for you know, like $800 a pop. So uh, maybe if we added you, we could double that. We could all get rid yeah. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> all right. Until next time. Right, thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. Thanks a lot, Matt. We'll be back with more Skullduggery. All right. And we've got with us uh, Randy Credico, uh, a radio talk show host, um, a friend and confidant of Julian Assange. Um, and I guess a former friend, we're going to get into that, of Roger Stone, the, uh, the, 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 the uh, self-described dirty trickster from the Nixon administration and, um, and a friend of uh, and, and, and advisor to Donald Trump. So uh, the last time we had you on, which wasn't that uh, long ago, we lost control of the, sh- of the show, Isakoff. Remember that? Yes, I Randy did. started doing oh, yeah. his, his impressions, and it just like it, w- it went off the rail. But it was pretty great, though. I yeah, well, say. here I, I'm back. All right. I'm back, just okay. like Michael Corleone. <laughs> just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. <laughs> all right. All right. We can get to that right. later. The impressions will come later. But um, we, we're having you on because you have had some pretty. Um, frosty exchanges lately with Roger Stone, right, that Isikoff was telling me about. I think you've seen them, Mike, so... I I have. I have some of them right here in front of me. Don't get too much into them because it's scatological. Well, this is a podcast, so we can be scatological. I understand, but, you know, maybe you can pick a few because you know he's going to hear about this 
and it's just going to come. Right, because you're going to bud a deluge of ensuing nasty emails. You're going to tweet it as soon as you get off the show. So, of course, he's going to hear about it. All right. So, tell us about it, Mike. You've got the. Just a few, Mike. Okay. All right. Overview. You, know, you tell us. What, let me let me go through the timeline here. You in our book, Russian Roulette, um, it, it, take issue with Roger Stone's account that you were the his back channel to Julian Assange, saying that it's completely ridiculous because uh, you knew nothing about what Julian Assange was going to dump in the way of emails uh, relating to John Podesta and the Clinton campaign. Um, Stone has publicly suggested, and to Congress, that you were the one who confirmed to him what he had been uh, told or what he had inferred that Assange had a motherload of material that he was about to release in early October. Uh, you went public saying that's not the tr- uh, that's not true. And now Stone is going after you. Well, let me tell you, first of all, there's like nine different versions of my involvement with Roger Stone. He's like that guy Kaiser Susu. I don't in uh, usual suspects. He's looking at the wall, and he keeps changing the dates, changing the time, and changing what I did. So he's got all of these different versions, and he can't keep track of them. He was on a show in Miami the other day, and I I sent him an email saying, what is this nonsense now? So he's got a new charge. He's changed the story again. And uh, that set off a, like I said, a, a downpour of nasty, scatological, Threatening, almost threatening. Would you call those threatening, Michael? Well, I'm going to read one right here. This is uh, Stone to You uh, at 9.21 p.m. on April 9th. You are a rat, a stoolie. You backstab your friends, run your mouth. My lawyers are dying to rip you to shreds. I'm going to take that dog away from you. Not a fucking thing you can do about it either because you are a weak, broke piece of shit. That's, I will that prove was to a the nice world one. you're a liar. Yeah. yeah. Well, what is he? What, <laughs> that what, was what, a nice one. I was going to say, what does he really think? The one at 551 in the morning, you know, from a couple. I don't want you to read that because it's longer than War and Peace. But, you know, that was pretty heavy. And I think your name's mentioned and others are mentioned. Ari Melber and, and some very nasty comments. Uh, at 5.51 in the morning. They all come really late. So let's let's back up for a second here and explain why uh, Stone, uh, why it would be so important for Stone uh, to have you uh, be the back channel to Julian Assange. Because the, 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 the accusation is that he, who was an advisor to the Trump campaign, was dealing directly with Julian Assange about the Podesta emails and, 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 these, and these dumps. And so... Uh, I mean, one theory would be that he needed a cutout um, and that uh, you would be a convenient um, cutout for him, um, but that you didn't actually uh, you didn't actually uh, do it, but you were willing to take the, uh, you know, take the blame for it. Uh, So what I mean, what what was your role in all this? How did this actually happen? I mean, (laughs) let me tell you something. Let me do a little godfather. My youngest son had to leave this country because of this Roger Stone business. Okay, I'll make the necessary arrangements, clear of these false charges of collusion. But I'm a superstitious man, and if Robert Mueller should invite him into his jail cell, I will not forget, and I'll blame the people in this room. So let me tell you something. Roger uh, has, he's Walter Mitty, all right? He invented himself into this story. You got to just come to grips with that. That's my theory, that Roger Stone, who was an egomaniac, he is Norma Desmond looking for, walking down, looking for that close-up, okay? He is so dying because he was tossed out by by uh, Trump, just tossed him out, right? Even though he, I mean, Trump was not loyal to him. So he was tossed out, and this was his way of getting back in and making all these wild claims. And so he hasn't been able, to, when he went before Congress, what does he say? Uh, he told them everything except for I had a back channel, can't tell you who it is. And as soon as they threatened him with a subpoena, he gave up my name. Didn't even give him a subpoena. And he's calling me a rat? He's calling me a rat. He didn't even get a subpoena. And he just, the threat of it. And so he sends me messages saying, why should I go to jail for you? 
I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of stuff here on stone that you haven't seen. Uh, Michael's probably seen some of it, but there's a lot of it I've kept under wraps. And so I think he's wigging out right now. He's to- after um, the Cohen was arrested or not arrested, but raided. I'm sure he thinks he's next. But just for the record, you were neither the actual back channel uh, to, to Julian what? Assange, or or. Uh, you did not agree just to kind of take the hit and to be... No, no. I didn't, okay, I didn't so, agree to take so the hit, and I took the Fifth Amendment. No one knows why I took the Fifth Amendment. He had another version that I was protecting a lawyer friend of mine of Assange. I don't know any lawyers in this country that actually represent Assange. I know three of his lawyers. They all live in London, and I met him last year when I met Assange for the very first time face-to-face, which was September 13, 2017. My first direct contact with Assange. So, right. yeah. All right. So, look, um, you uh, view these uh, messages you're getting from him. Uh, are they on signal, by the way, or how is he sending them? No, to you? by, by the, the easiest way to grab. I told him to use Yahoo Mail instead of Google Mail. He used Gmail. Okay, it's the easiest thing to grab, right? So, so he, so he's got, he's got everything. Everything is there. Anyone can see them. You view this as threatening. Well, I don't uh, know if it's threatening. It certainly is scary. When you start bringing up my dog, you start bringing up my dog, it, uh, you're crossing the line, all right? What kind of a dog is it? You, I, I'm Actually, I got to say, very disappointed because we'd heard you were going to bring the dog in. I know. Next time I will, if there's a next time. But, uh, you know, I was going to bring the dog in, but I, I had a problem with my finger today, and she was so looking forward to doing this show. Well, She's it, been on New York One twice. You know, she's done a lot of TV shows, and she's a little Caton Tulliar from Argentina that I got 12 years ago. A little Caton Tulliar. She's so cute. Her name is Bianca, and she travels with me everywhere. And I'm sorry that I didn't get to bring her I think today. I think we need a picture. Of, I'm going to get you the picture. And then, you know, save this dog from, from Roger Rod- Stone should be the uh, uh, Twitter message we'll put out there. Well, I thought you I thought you might go out there and in your best uh, Bill Clinton say, this dog won't hunt let me, let to me Roger say Stone. One thing. Let me say one thing, and I'll say it one last time. If Roger Stone comes near my dog, that man ass is grass. <laughs> um, all right, now um, – you got to have some impressions once in a while, okay? But look, this is a serious matter because Stone is still viewed with a great deal of suspicion, certainly by some of the congressional investigators, as a real conduit between the Trump camp and WikiLeaks and ergo through that, the uh, the Kremlin, and uh, because they were Russian hacked emails that WikiLeaks was dumping. Have you- Are you for sure on that? Can you say that with cuz I can't say uh, that is the conclusion that's of the conclusion. US intelligence commun- community and the US law enforcement community. Right. So I mean absent some other compelling piece of evidence uh, I think we got to go with and accept um, what the uh, what the professionals say um, but well you, want, you know I know Assange want, you want to hear his story I'm going to get him on your show because you know he listens to this show That'd be great. Let's we, we he, you know let's extend an invitation. If he listens, then uh, well, he tweeted Assange, it out the last you're, time. You're invited to be. Did on you the know show. that? He actually, I did. I did. Yeah, he was one yeah. of the first. Yeah, I saw that. You yeah. know, it is also possible, by the way, that Julian Assange and WikiLeaks would not know the source of the uh, material that they were uh, posting on the internet. I mean, uh, it, it, any number of cutouts who had no obvious ties to the Kremlin or Russian intelligence, could have provided those emails to WikiLeaks, Julian Assange wouldn't have been any the wiser about where they came from. All he knows is he's got them. Um, But that said... Yes, there's a way to get material to WikiLeaks, and then they do a confirmation... I mean, you know, I'm I'm not a techie, uh, but, you know, there are ways... He's got this ironclad system that was set up, so everything is verified, and it goes through... I don't know... So you're going to have to uh, pursue that on your own. I, I, I am very doubtful that uh, that definitely was not from a Russian actor. Now, you could say it was a cutout. I don't know. All right. But I'm, I'm uh, not leaning in that, that direction. But Roger Stone, I think he was involved in the campaign in other ways, devious and dubious ways. You know, I think he was involved in the voter suppression uh, 
movement. We've talked about this, but go ahead. Uh, let's. He scares me, though. He definitely scares me. When we last spoke, you were anticipating hearing from uh, Mr. Mueller's staff. Have you heard from them at all? No. My lawyer, uh, my main lawyer, has some very personal problems, and he hasn't uh, been around. So I, I'm moving around like the Scarlet Pimpermill in the city trying to avoid any kind of uh, contact. But I keep hearing through the grapevine that something is coming here. So uh, my other lawyers think I'm going to get uh, some kind of subpoena. Now, now with, the, um, uh, with Congress, you uh, famously invoked your Fifth Amendment yes, rights. Because I like Beethoven. I like the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> and they uh, dropped that. If you da, hear da, da, from da. Miller, will you uh, cooperate? Will I cooperate? I mean, you know, as much as – not as much as Sam Nunberg, but uh, by the way, I went out with Sam Nunberg the other day. Can you believe that? For like three hours we hung out. Um, you should invite him to that uh, correspondence dinner. I'm sure he'd like to go. Uh, well, but, maybe uh, uh, maybe as a guest on Skullduggery, but um, I, I, cooperate maybe is a loaded right. term. I don't know what it means if I'm going to cooperate. I mean, I don't you know You either right answer now. their questions or you refuse to answer their questions and um, uh, invoke the, your Fifth Amendment rights. Of course, they can always Im immunize you right. and force you to uh, answer. Well, listen, if Mueller does it, uh, you know, I don't know how much room you have. But I'm, I'm afraid to talk to the FBI because I don't remember, you know, what if I had milk in my coffee this morning. And I don't want to get caught on a technicality here and end up perjuring myself on something that was nonsensical. So I'm, I'm, I'm really um, reluctant to uh, testify to the FBI. You certainly wouldn't get a voluntary piece of testimony from me. I just want to know, you know, you don't want to – you're wary of Mueller, but uh, if you believe that Stone is is threatening your dog, shouldn't you, for your dog's uh, uh, safety, if if not yours, go to the cops? Yeah, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm I just I hope he hears this to stop doing it. That's all I can tell you. He's got to stop sending these emails, and they seem to come out at the same time that Trump's emails and tweets come out. You know, three. Hey, look, he's tweeted out that I've been dead three or four times in the past, and it's caused a lot of anxiety uh, for my family. When uh, Well, I'll, I'll read one more. Uh, just, a, just, a, just a pastiche, not the entire one. Yeah, uh, uh, this is uh, Stone to Credico. I know you're a dumb shit, but read the Constitution. I have a constitutional right to call you a lightweight, panty-waist, cocksucker, drunk asshole piece of shit, and I just did. Um, Ooh, can so you say that? You do you have any response, Mr. Critic? Uh, yes, uh, I do have a response. I, I say check into a rehab, uh, Roger, and try to look into your soul and get the Roy Cohn spirit out of your mind and body and move on. But you certainly should see, if not a shrink, get into a program, you know, the AANA, one of these programs, a 12-step program, and get that out of you. That's all I can say because I can only ascribe it to binges. All right. Time to pull the plug. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, can you handle the truth? All right. No, we can't. Bye-bye. <laughs> all, right. all right. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll uh, see you soon. All right? All right. Thank you, Mr. Credico. Credico, right from <laughs> Raskolnikov. All right. Thanks to Matt Miller and Randy Credico for joining us on this week's Skullduggery. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tell us what you think. Leave a review. We'll talk to you next week. Music.